Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has five years of law enforcement analysis experience. She's a crime analyst with the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she's the 100th person to complete the IACA certification program. She's the Mississippi girl once described as being too outgoing. Please welcome (laughs) Jessica Ellsmore. Jessica, how are we doing? (laughs) Hey there, Jason. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I am doing well. And you can be as outgoing as you want to on this show. I (laughs) highly encourage analysts to be outgoing. So excellent. Feel free to be comfortable here in this space. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? So it's kind of an interesting story. I grew up in Mississippi, kind of in a, a good bit of poverty. So I didn't have the best upbringing, so to speak. So when I was young, I had a lot of interactions with law enforcement where, I mean, I wasn't in trouble, but (laughs) where they were kind of like salvation for me. So it kind of, my, my love affair with law enforcement kind of started young where I was just fascinated with these people who could come into a situation that was chaos and kind of reconcile things and bring order. And then, and almost like the, the sense of justice that came with that uh, was just really fascinating for me. So I know that how I felt when I was on the receiving end of that. And I was like, you know, I want to do that for other people. It kind of took me a while to figure out exactly in what capacity. And it's changed a few times throughout the course of my career. But yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. So what did you say you studied in college? My undergraduate degree was forensic science because once upon a time ago, yeah, Jessica wanted to, I was, I'm obsessed with forensic files. Okay. I don't, (laughs) I don't do like (laughs) reality TV or any of those other crime shows, but forensic files is just my guilty pleasure. So I did an entire degree in forensic justice or I'm sorry, forensic science and realized like, yeah, it turns out you have to like sit in a lab all day and not interact <laughs> with humans a whole lot. <laughs> I'm not real good at that. I was really like fingerprinting. thought I'm really good at fingerprint analysis because attention to details, kind of one of my jams. Mm-hmm. However, like, you know, one mistake and RIP your career. So, um, you know, human error, <laughs> it's kind of important. And then I thought I'll get into arson. And anyway, it was just a whole, a whole thing. Uh, I tried, tried crime scene. That was... Whew, that was rough. Uh, most respect to those people who do that stuff. And yeah. so what, what went, particular made that rough? Oh my gosh. So I took like a, a crime scene class in undergrad and our final was they put us in a like janky motel <laughs> and they set the stage with like actual turds, cocaine and blood. I mean, it was a literal shit show. And (laughs) they were like, all right, you have a team four hours go. And we were like, oh my God. So there's a lot of, I mean, in real life, obviously you don't typically have a time constraint, but there's just a lot. And if you miss one little thing, it kind of can ruin the case. So we wound up missing like a women's bra under the mattress. We had to lift some fingerprints. It was just a lot. And you have to Well, one, kind of in addition, in Mississippi, I didn't really have opportunities to work in crime scenes. So it was like, why am I going to put myself through this torture? (laughs) It's just not my cup of tea. I do like, I work well under pressure, but I don't know. That was just the, honestly, the photography was the hardest part because you got to get the, oh my gosh, the, the manual adjustments of the cameras settings. Like you have to get everything just so, so that the photos are right. And they intentionally turn the lighting down. So that was garbage. But it was, it's rough. It's really rough and enjoyable, but not, not my cup of tea. So then I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to grad school. I got into law school actually. And I was like, mm, don't want to be an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I went to Ole Miss for my master's in Homeland Security. And that's where I learned. I mean, I knew about crime analysis. I had an interest in it, but I became really passionate about it in grad school. 
had some really great classes with some great professors and it kind of became like my dream. So eventually you become an FBI intern, correct? Yes. So that actually happened in undergrad and it almost okay. didn't happen. Uh, I had a professor who I very much respected who was like, oh, you shouldn't even apply for that. Nobody ever gets those. It's a waste of time. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, screw you, man. Like, <laughs> way to be a ray of freaking sunshine. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to come tell you about it. <laughs> so I did. And I had a, a top secret clearance and all that. The most nerve wracking polygraph I've ever done in my entire life. Boy. So, oh man, that was an adventure, but I did some really cool work with them and I learned a lot about what I like and what I don't like. Federal bureaucracy is just not my cup of tea. But uh, back I to mean, the polygraph, what, what kind of questions did they ask you? Oh my God. So it's like, it's the typical polygraph questions and, mm -hmm. you know, they ask you everything ahead of time, but honestly it was the prep. So I'm all of five feet tall. Right. Mm -hmm. So I get in this chair and my feet don't even touch the freaking floor. So, <laughs> like. You know, they play kind of little mind games with you and they're like, oh, we'll get you a step stool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> but they, you have on a blood pressure cuff, pulse monitor, two different mm. uh, straps around your chest and stomach to monitor your breathing. There was a sensor under your butt to monitor like nervous rocking from side to side. And <laughs> the first question, they get like a baseline. So they write a number on the wall and they're like, oh, what number is that? You have to lie when you answer. And so that yeah. was it one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. So I lie. And he was like, oh, wow. I said, what? He was like, you're a terrible liar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course I am. Like, <laughs> this is the worst. He was like, it was jumping up and down like crazy. So I was like, well, at least, you know, I'll be honest, but it's, it's just about your life and involvement and things you might have done. And they kind of ask you ahead of time. So you kind of can get out those like false positives. Like I drink underage. All right. Yeah. Who, who among us did not have a sip of a beverage before 21? And if you did, uh, and you're that person, I commend you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just basic stuff and making sure I hadn't like snorted a line of coke before I walked in or anything wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting when I think back, I, t I took a couple back in the day and the, the one time they did the prep just like he talked about, but then we had like a, a second one where they talked about it. And I think he forgot to do this in the prep. So he's like, Hey, he's like, I'm going to ask you a question about lying to your boss. Oh my God. And I said, okay. And then he asked <laughs> that and I go, I go, no, no. And I'm like, oh, well, and then I thought about it a little bit. I was like, yeah, I've probably lied to my <laughs> boss before. And he's like, okay, we're done. He's like, we got can't explain it. We're going on to the next one. And so I thought oh, for God. sure that was going to hit me up. And then he was like, you didn't come back on that one. But, you know, you had a little fuzziness on the drug question, which was, <laughs> which was crazy to me because I prided myself on not you know, I was like you with the alcohol, but in terms of right. the other hard drugs. Exactly. So, but I don't know. So I, I wasn't sure any of that polygraph stuff. <laughs> I tell you, the one that got me was, have you ever lied to a family member or close friend? And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> of course. Like, you haven't lied to your parents? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So yeah, that that is a nerve wracking experience that, for those that have to do it. So for sure. Anyway, let's let's move on to the FBI internship then. So yes. you because you get in, which was which is great. What a great opportunity to get a feel for the FBI straight out of undergrad. Yeah. So I started out, I was this was in just after like everything had crashed in 2008. So in 2010, I think is approximately when I started. So at the time they were doing unpaid internships. So I had to kind of like beg, borrow, and steal from friends and couches to survive. But I was at the Oxford, Mississippi resident agency for a while for that summer. And then they were kind enough to let me continue once I started back in school in Hattiesburg. So that was awesome. But the, it's it was just so interesting to see how things work on the federal side. Uh, I kind of had some general knowledge of like local law enforcement, but th the federal is just a totally different world. And I got to do some really cool cases, meet some really neat people. And I, it just, 
it was really neat. But for me, I, I found that they tend to be in my experience and what, where I was and how we were doing things. I just wasn't able to be as immersed with the community as I was kind of hoping. And we had one case and this is like gone to trial. It's over and done. I helped prepare the discovery for it. But like, it was this wild thing where this guy worked for Publishers Clearinghouse and he was taken information of these elderly people and calling and tell them they had won. He had a team of, I think like eight or nine defendants. And they were saying, basically you've won $2,000. You have to pay the luxury tax. And these people were giving them like two grand a pop. And they had one lady in, they hit her like several times a day, several days in a row to the tune of like $80,000. And then she died before trial. It was awful. So like all the defendants, but one decided to plead down. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he got a pretty harsh sentence, but it was interesting, but it took years to get progress on that. Um, Just like some, some cigarette stamp cases we worked, which those are, those have been made public. And then when I moved down to uh, Hattiesburg for the school year, I got to work on some civil rights cold cases. I helped close some of those out. Those were really cool. You know, a lot of the the victims' families are deceased or not anywhere close by, but it kind of felt good to be able to to get closure for some of those folks. Just some like absolutely wild KKK stuff. Um, oh yeah, I was going to ask, just give an example of because you said civil rights. So what were they charged with, and what were you able to exonerate? So we had one where the guy blackmail worked at a factory, and somebody put a bomb under his vehicle and killed him. So we pretty well knew who had done it, but it was just a matter of taking everything, all the reports, all the witness accounts, kind of putting it all together to kind of make a definitive argument for guilt. And of course, the the suspect had long since passed away, but we did find like one living relative for the victim over in California, I think, and kind of let them know like, hey, you know, we figured this out and we're going to close this out and this is our official suspect, so on and so forth. But it was just, it was crazy. We had crazy amounts of evidence. It's kind of interesting that it took so long to close, but big kudos to the FBI for actually putting effort in on trying to close those cold cases and get justice for those people. Yeah, man, I didn't, I was thinking something about protesting or something like that. Somebody getting arrested or put in jail for years for protesting. I didn't, you know, think about the aspect of someone getting murdered and then yeah. decades later being in, finding out who did it or whatever officially. Yeah. And that's, you know, this poor guy, he was just existing, trying to work his job and people that killed him were in the clan. Uh, it was kind of a, a bit of a conspiracy in a way to kind of get everything together because bomb making wasn't super common back then, but it was a tactic they used. So it's, yeah. it was pretty wild. So this made you to decide to leave Mississippi. I had long since decided to leave Mississippi. (laughs) No, no, I I love, I love home. Don't get me wrong. Um, The thing about it is if good people don't stay, then nothing gets better. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was pretty resistant to leave and and move to Chattanooga, had strong family ties with my grandparents there. So if they hadn't kicked me in the butt and told me, go live your life, I probably would still be there now. (laughs) But, you know, we had talked about in the prep call, that as you're trying your best to find something in oh, Mississippi, yeah. you applied for hundreds of positions. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was just over 200 jobs that I applied for. And I kept the rejection emails just to keep me humble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, the problem I ran into is that I had a master's degree in this federal internship and, oh, you're overqualified. And then other jobs, it was like, but you don't have any like full-time work experience. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but which, <laughs> what do y'all want from me? Like I had like three part-time jobs cause I was a broke grad student. So like <laughs> I, you can't win. You either have too much experience or not enough, or it was just really hard. It's kind of a, a desert of opportunities there, but uh, I ultimately found a home at dispatch. And I would say that's priceless experience. You know, I made a whopping $11 an hour for a 12 hour shift, but I learned some really awesome stuff. And is that the one where you were traveling like 75 minutes to get there? (laughs) Yes. So I had just gotten married and like a sweet little honeymoon phase wife. Uh, My husband was still in school. And so our house, our apartment was 75 miles from our dispatch center in another county. So I drove 75 miles there and 75 miles home after my 12 hour shifts. Um, 
it was all especially nights but it was cool to get to watch the sunrise so yeah. <laughs> oh man so what are some things that you picked up as dispatch that eventually helped you in analysis work oh man so staying calm under pressure and I know you can't truly multitask, our brains aren't set up, but multitasking as much as one can. So our dispatch center was really small. There were only three of us in a county of, I don't even know, probably close to 200,000 people-ish. So if more than three people called 911 at the same time, like, sorry about your luck, mm-hmm. but we had to call take and dispatch and work the radio all at the same time. So trying to listen to somebody scream through the phone, like such and such isn't breathing, trying to give CPR directions, trying to talk on the radio and let all the responding parties know what's going on, trying to log it all by hand into CAD. I had seven computer screens, two or three keyboards and like three different mice. So it was just like a circus. But again, I kind of, I'm like a little gremlin in chaos and I love it. (laughs) So (laughs) it was great. But I also learned a valuable lesson about being able to turn off when you go home. I I had a hard time with dispatch because it was go, 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 go. And by the time I got home, I was so wired up. I wasn't sleeping. I was kind of like going on 100 with my husband. He could tell you a hilarious story about a time that he knocked a dish towel off off of the stove. And before it even hit the ground, I was like, pick that up. He was (laughs) like, good God, calm down. (laughs) But um, just really working well under pressure, it kind of fine-tuned those skills for me because it's, I mean, sometimes it's literally somebody's life. And I think that in analysis, people don't realize how important our work can be. I've, I've had cases, we had a fugitive out in the woods and we had um, those crazy uh, helicopters up there that can see infrared and stuff, and he's murdered somebody, and you've got law enforcement out in the woods actively looking for somebody. That's life or death. So, sure. you know, those those things are important. It's valuable skills. I always tell my supervision, I'll steal a dispatcher in a heartbeat. All right. So your marriage survived the dish towels being yes, dropped on God. the floor, and then you eventually go up to <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee. Before we get into the analyst role there, let's talk a little bit about Chattanooga, because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with Chattanooga and like how it corresponds with the rest of the geography around it. Yeah. So Chattanooga is very like mountain region. We call it the Tennessee Valley. And if you're up on a high point, you can see it's a literal valley. So one fun fact, it's like one of the pollen capitals of the world because everything gets in there and swells around. So you might actually (laughs) almost die. Um, (laughs) But no, we're about two hours from Birmingham, Nashville, Knoxville, and Atlanta. So we kind of operate as a hub. There's major highways that run between us in all four of those locations. You know, we get a lot of trafficking stuff through here. We get a lot of drugs going through here. Mm -hmm. Really per capita violence. We're pretty high on the list typically. So there's a lot going on in Chattanooga, but uh, it's interesting how we do kind of fly under the radar when people think about places like that. Yeah. It is a great family weekend. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so much to do coming from Mississippi where it's like, well, let's go mud ride on four wheelers. Absent of the the pollen and human trafficking and murder rate. Right, right. Right. But I mean, it's, uh, I did take the kids there one weekend and it is a nice family friendly river. Oh, yeah. ta- it's a river, river town. So there's, a, yes, it's, it's beautiful. Lots of good uh, hiking. You can go caving. You can go whitewater rafting. You can go kayaking. We have a great museum, a great zoo. The aquarium's amazing. And food, of course, like we're in the South. So lots of good food. <laughs> All right. So so take us back to the, just those first couple of days or even first couple of weeks. You're, you're walking in as an analyst for Hamilton County Sheriff's Office and just to what do you think about now as you look back? Oh my goodness. First of all, I wish I could give that Jessica a hug and tell her it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was coming out of another job with a different agency for as a crime analyst, and it hadn't been like all rays of sunshine in that particular agency. So walking into Hamilton County, I had worked here prior and then left for the other job, and then I came back to Hamilton County. And I was like, all right, Jessica, this is your chance. Like, make it or break it. <sighs> I'm very much, not to keep rhyming, 
but I'm, I'm a fake it till I make it kind of person. So I was not always confident that I was going to be able to get the crime analysis unit off the ground. They didn't have one for an, a, a county this big, over 300,000 people. The city had some analysts, but at the county, we had nothing. So, you know, this was going to be my baby. We were going to start this whole program right from the start. And I had to get buy-in from all the divisions who like kind of knew me, but didn't know me enough to trust me. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to own this. And if I don't feel like I'm going to own it, I'm going to fake it so that people think I do. And Mm -hmm. we're just going to get through it by God. But it was, it was intimidating because you don't know what you don't know. I didn't have my head around the different sources of data. We also run the jail out here. So there's there's a whole slew of things that come with corrections analysis and intelligence. And that's that's kind of part of it too. I knew when I was coming into this and kind of laying the groundwork that I wanted to do both crime analysis and intelligence analysis because all of the research kind of indicates those have to go hand in hand. And I myself I just don't think the division of those two is productive. Uh, You have to have them kind of go together because if you're looking at numbers, but you don't understand the cause underneath that, you know, how are you ever going to present a solution that's valid? So, but at the same time, I tried to be very careful and balanced. Like I found that people see, oh, you've got a master's degree. You must be smart. Well, (laughs) maybe, but at the end of the day, I don't know everything. I'll certainly never purport to know everything. And I I like to always think that I'm always learning. Uh, There's, there's always somebody in the room who knows something that you don't. And I like to surround myself with people who can teach me stuff. So trying to stay humble, trying to insert myself in these different divisions, earn their trust so that they'll come to me. And then ultimately find a way to get a work product for them. That's going to get them bought in and invested in this. So, I know a lot. <laughs> so then are you dealing mostly with property crime since it's the county or what are you mainly focused on? So I definitely do a lot with property crimes, but I wouldn't say that it's more than our people crime. So our CID mm-hmm. is property and people crimes. That's how we divide it up. And then we have narcotics, fugitive, patrol. Those are kind of the big ones, the big five that I work with. Mm-hmm. Because of my like my office location, I'm over with the person's crimes, CID folks and the patrol folks. So property crimes definitely occupies a lot of my time. But uh, it's interesting how I think those two have started to kind of blend lead together in the last few years. Like you have more and more, just for example, we have people with home security cameras and video and stuff. So we have homeowners waking up in the middle of the night to someone breaking into their car and they're going outside trying to defend their property. And then it turns into an aggravated assault because somebody pointed a gun at somebody else. So, you know, it's kind of a, a blending of the two. But I, I definitely do a, a lot of a, everything. <laughs> I like to call myself like a, a jack of all trades, master of several. How is your relationship then with the city? Because you said the city had analysts, right? But this, you were the first in terms of the, the county. It's been It's been pretty good for the most part. Before I came here, there's kind of this, and I, th- I think this is present in a lot of agencies, there's like this kind of weird rivalry between law enforcement agencies sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um like the city and the county in particular here, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, but I, I saw it in my hometown as well when I dispatched until somebody has a crash report and then it's like, nobody wants it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's definitely evolving. It's something that we're all continuing to work on and improve. I recently got my, my captain retired and I got a new sergeant and I think he's done some really good work with kind of laying the groundwork of, look, you know, we're all on the same team. Let's share this information for the betterment of, of Hamilton County as a whole. And so I think that's something that everybody has to work at it. And it's it's a work in progress. But I think we, we do pretty well for the most part. It's definitely a lot, not a a total standstill. So I think that's good. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm, I can see the rivalry. It was, it's, it's kind of funny because every once in a while I hear stories where the, the city officers would try to talk the county officers into taking the arrest <laughs> because they're, because they're like, Oh, in the County, they give out way tougher sentences than they do in the city. So <laughs> take, take this one and uh, get this guy or gal off the street. Oh Yeah. I can definitely see that. All right. Well, this brings us to your analyst badge story. What would you describe as your career defining 
case or project that you've worked on? So there was a murder case that was pretty, it was pretty wild. Uh, I walk into my office one morning and it's like the captain, district attorney, God, and everybody's there. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> Good morning to you all as well. And so they were like, Jessica, in this cul-de-sac, there was this like little kid. He found a body. It was hogtied and set on fire. Oh, and by the way, there was a phone. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. No big. Cool. Average day. So they were like, all right, what can we do with this phone? And I was like, well, first of all, we need a search warrant. In that particular role, I was able to kind of help them draft their legal process. And a lot of times they would just sign it and I'd send it off. And once we got those results back, I, I am a big PenLink supporter. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the, that's what the agency that I was working for had in place. And if you're very familiar with PenLink and you know Pepe, um, he's the best. I love him. <laughs> and I called Pepe and I'm like, Pepe, all right, here's what I've got. How can you help me? And so we worked through a couple of different things and ultimately kind of narrowed it down. And I was able to map this phone coming from Nashville down to the murder scene. And I'm like, wow, that's wild. So as that phone was traveling, it was placing calls to two or three other numbers. And I was like, okay, let's run a little hot numbers report and see what our top 10 contacts are. And then I want to write search warrants for them and their location data as well. And then once we get that back, I map it and like, sure enough, there's like three other phones making the same trip at the same time. So we write a few more search warrants and get provider information, subscriber information, stuff. I mean, it was um, it was to the point where we had written probably over a hundred different legal processes. So between like subpoenas, search warrants, court orders, it eventually got over into social media. It became critical for me to kind of manage what legal process we had pending, what the status was, is it loaded into PenLink? Where are we with these things? So I had to create this kind of elaborate organization system to keep everything on track. Like the phones, of course, were all burner phones, but a fun little hack. If you've got detectives willing to write legal process, what we did was we wrote a search warrant for the receipt of purchase for that device to, I think like Cricket or somebody. And so they're like, oh, bought it at a Walgreens. So you go to Walgreens and you say, all right, if they won't give it to you willingly, you have to write legal process. But I would like your camera footage for the timestamp on this receipt. And then we kind of already knew who our suspects were just based on, I was able to track one of the phone numbers down because of a previous employer had it listed. So we kind of had an idea. And then visually I was able to match the footage from that Walgreens phone purchase to like the driver's license of one of our suspects. He had kind of unique hair. So it kind of went from there. We also happened that the kid that found the body lived in this cul-de-sac. And as he's waiting on the, the school bus that morning is when this all took place. So the school bus actually had a camera on it that recorded the suspect vehicles haul and tail out of the area. And oh, so wow. I, it was, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> I was able to get into that video and match those vehicles to social media posts of our suspects. One of them had really uh-huh. unique rims and the guy had actually deleted it when he found out we had video footage. I think it was like on the news or something. And unfortunately for him, I had already preserved his social media accounts. <laughs> Sorry uh-huh. about your luck, buddy. But we matched that up and they... <sighs> It ultimately wound up kind of being transferred out of our jurisdiction to Nashville because the crime took place in Nashville and there was just like transporting of the body. They brought the body all the way down to you? Yeah, yeah. They they drove that bad boy like a couple hours and (laughs) dumped it. So I... Were they local? I mean, did did anybody live there? They just randomly picked that particular cul-de-sac to dump this body that was the okay so that was the damnedest thing like (laughs) I worked so hard trying to find a connection between them and this area and I think what they did is they were like all right we're gonna drive until we see some random turn off and then they just took a series of turns and we never did a good get a good explanation for that um so that'll probably haunt Mm. me until I die I don't know they their sentences were not actually we couldn't prove who pulled the trigger or did a lot of things. So I don't think their sentencing was particularly harsh, but every now and again, I'll see them in the news headlines. I've kind of got it set up so that I can, I, I get like notifications if their names pop up. <laughs> and some of them, some of them are still out causing a ruckus. So 
you know, that, that yeah. was a, that was a wild one. I am really impressed with the school bus video. Cause I, I was, know, th- right? I was thinking if anybody's going to have really bad video, it would be a school bus, right? Yeah, Cause you're really only trying to look at like who's actually in the bus. Like they're not even usually, I can't imagine that they're even wanting to know what's happening outside the bus. So I actually think that it was motivated by people who continually pass school buses illegally and put children at risk. Oh, okay. There you go. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's why the school bus had like some legit cameras because they were like, all right, we're sick of this. We're going to prosecute everybody, which like, hey, kudos to them. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point because I was thinking and they're probably way more elaborate than when I was a kid. Right. I was just thinking about the ones we I remember the. I was probably a junior, senior in high school where they we got the first cameras. Like our district got the first cameras then. So I oh, mean, man. I'm sure they what I'm thinking of. That's and that's what I'm thinking of. So it's probably way more sophisticated than than what I'm thinking of. Oh, these school buses now have air conditioners and heaters and shit. Like <laughs> we used to just have to suffer. <laughs> My name is Manny San Pedro. I'm the technology director for the IACA. And here is my public service announcement for analysts. Don't become overly reliant on Excel. Use it to analyze and break down your data. It's a fantastic tool. Fantastic. And it's free as part of the Microsoft Office offering. But don't use it as a database. Use a database as a database. Connect to the database with Excel. And then use it for your pivoting for all your slicing and dicing, even developing your dashboard. But again, don't use Excel for everything because it may not be the best tool for you. Hi, this is Adrian Galbrecht. Have you ever received an email on a giant listserv and started to hit reply all instead of just reply? If so, you're not the only one and just always pause and double check before you hit send. Right. That's interesting. So you said you had to organize all this data. Is What are you using to keep everything in order? So uh, it was super fancy manila folders. Okay. Um, I printed, basically what I did is I made a folder for each phone because for some of the phones, we'd have to say, I don't know who this belongs to. Let's write a subpoena. And so we'd get that back and say, well, that's a person of interest. Let's write a search warrant. So I created a cover sheet for each of the folders that had like the date that the legal process was sent, what type it was and the date it was received, and then whether it was uploaded into PenLink at the time and is how I kept track of things because we had... Like we had some phones where we would write for the last 30 days and then it wound up maybe that they had been talking about doing this for longer than that. So we got to write for an additional period of time. So some of them became pretty, pretty big folders. And this was a while back. So I actually kept physical copies of the returns as well. Or a lot of times like with burner phones, it was kind of hard to tell that like that it belonged to, I don't know what, what the burner phone companies are anymore. I'm kind of out of the phone loop, but um, whatever it may be. And then they were like, Oh, just kidding. AT&T doesn't actually own that. We sold it to Cricket Wireless or whoever. So then you have to write the same legal process to Cricket Wireless. So anyway, that was very, very fancy manila folders. (laughs) All right. Interesting. Before we move on, I do want to talk to the your concept of building the unit. So are you still the only analyst there at the county or are you do you have coworkers now? It's just little old me. We're working on it. It's kind of a process. In the beginning, we had a grant and the grant required that anyone who filled the position be sworn certified law enforcement. And it's a federal grant. So they were pretty strict. I, I was sworn in, but I mean, I didn't go to the academy, so I'm not mm-hmm. certified. Mm-hmm. My captain kind of occupied at first. I had a deputy who filled that spot and then he left and I had a captain and then he retired and the grant actually expired, I think in October of this year, but that kind of limited us because we're governed by the county commissioners. So like civil service, we were protected by it, but we're also governed by it. Mm -hmm. So like they weren't going to give us a crime analyst position when we've got funded positions that at the time we couldn't fill nobody who's straight. It basically the pay for it was the beginning pay for a deputy. And so nobody fresh out of the Academy wants to come like hang out in an office and 
crunch numbers and stalk people on Facebook. Um, <laughs> you know, they want to go like <laughs> be the police. Yeah. So we didn't have any luck getting that position filled. I know they looked and looked at a, a bunch of different people, but it just never really worked out. So anyway, now that the grant position is over, I know they're looking at having a, a position created and funded a job description actually put on the books. So I'm hoping that's coming soon. And I've just kind of tried to hold down the fort and it's a lot of people are like, Oh, why would you stay like you did? And it's like, mm, I love what I do. <laughs> nice. I love the people that I work with. I'm, it, it hasn't always been such that I've enjoyed my job and the people that I work with. And I feel so fortunate to have that where I'm at right now. I'm able to really like be involved with all the divisions. They take me to meetings. Sometimes I'm the only civilian in the room, but mm -hmm. they value me that much. They listen when I say something and just feeling appreciated and that I matter and I can see the things that I do and how they have an impact on the community around me. And that's why I love local law enforcement. Nothing against my state and federal friends. It's just, I really can see that I have a direct impact. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it and kind of help build this unit. I'm, I'm working on to, to kind of answer your question. Like I want to lay the groundwork for expectations. We kind of see it as a, a customer service role. So, and I see myself as a Switzerland, so to speak. I try not to get involved <laughs> in the politics and the drama. I am neutral ground. So, you know, if somebody comes to me with something, I'm going to give it my all. And I think that that's kind of served me well. So, you know, narcotics feels like they can come to me and say, hey, can you dump this phone? Can you analyze it? And they're no, I'm not going to go run my mouth to anybody because that's not, that's just not professional. <laughs> mm -hmm. So kind of laying the groundwork for those expectations. We're also a CALEA certified agency. So there's a lot of reporting that comes with that. I do all of that, which is... Uh, strenuous, but it's important. And I think that it helps me have the pulse on what's going on across the county. I monitor all of our crashes, all of the crimes and things. It's just kind of, it's it's overwhelming sometimes and I definitely need help. I think it's coming. So I'm just trying to, trying to stay above water until then. But everybody's so kind and understanding. It It's easy to, to kind of float around in the chaos. <laughs> Sounds like you're heading in the right direction, and I do hope that you soon get some tag team partners there to help you out in your <laughs> Thank endeavors. You. Me too. All right, so let's move on now to you being the hundredth person to complete the IACA certification. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank I you. Was, I was thinking, man, I got it in 2009, and I want to say I was. 32, but oh, don't quote me on that. But for years I was, oh, I was like, oh, I'm one of 32. I was all braggity. And <laughs> like, I always wanted to keep the number low just so I could preserve that. Hey, I was part of a very exclusive club, but it's interesting to see it at 100. I do want to ask you this before we get into the nuts and bolts of this particular certification, because you, you, you mentioned that you do both intel work and crime analysis work the ILEA certification it, look, it says on their website 600 as of 2018 i'm sure they have more since then but i wanted to ask you did you give much thought of going with ILEA versus the IACA certification yes yeah, so actually that's next on my list because i allow myself no peace um <laughs> I, i'm in ILEA and IACA I'm also a part of TELIA, the Tennessee Association of Law Enforcement Analysts. I know they're developing a certification. So any certification that I can get, I am going to work for. So ILEA is next on my list. I was pretty intimidated by IACA and that certification for the CLIA. And I was like, I, I don't like to be intimidated by things. So I was like, I'm just going to get it. I'm just going to do it. Just knock mm -hmm. it out. And to, you know, kind of in the, to speak back to creating this division, I want to set precedents that one, I know what I'm doing. I want to be classified and paid as such, but I also want to establish our agency as an agency that hires people who are qualified and, and has good people. And I know that getting these certifications is, is a way to kind of set ourselves apart. I did not know that I was going to be a hundred or that no one else in Tennessee <laughs> had done it at the time. But as a natural born nerd and overachiever, I was thrilled. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I didn't even know the Tennessee connection there, that you were the first one in Tennessee. So very good. Yeah. And I haven't taken the ILEA one. I do know there's a writing portion. 
And that's different from the IACA version. So let's get into the IACA version a little bit. It is, first you have to qualify and there's several factors in terms of time and training and experience that you have to get through. And then you're taking the test, which is, is it 190 questions? Is yeah, there, okay. yeah, 10 per so, chapter. Yeah, it's fine. 10 per chapter in the book. They couldn't finish the 20th chapter. It used to be 20, right? When I took it, it was 200 questions. So it used to be oh, 20 wow. chapters and it was 200 questions. But since the latest book only has 19 chapters in it, it's 190 questions. And, <laughs> and is it still that you have to pass each section with at least a 70? Yeah, yeah. You have okay. to get seven out of 10 correct or you failed the section. And then I think if you fail the section, I don't think you pass. I know there's, I think they talked about they've got some, that's kind of a case by case basis, but no pressure at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I know they did a little bit in terms of revamping that. I I wasn't sure where they, they landed on that because I know that was the, the case because people some people were like okay i don't necessarily know about this particular chapter and i'm failing because of this one particular chapter that doesn't really have much to do with my job so yeah um and they always have problems with non-us folks trying to take it because there is some law u.s law code there's that chapter a couple of chapters on that that creates havoc as well i can't imagine yeah so how did you prepare for the test (laughs) so i will restate i'm a gremlin and i love chaos so (laughs) i started the Ica conference in vegas was in august and that's when i was i was like all right i went to uh the little class they offered on certification and i was like eh I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do it. And so I scheduled for November one because, you know, why not two months? Let's go. A friend of mine had a copy of the book, Uh, actually one of the city's analysts. She let me borrow it. And I crammed every night until about (laughs) 1am. It honestly felt like taking my comps for grad school all over again, but it was an actual review of most of my career because, you know, there's, there's a chapter about RMS, JMS, about all the different types of analysis, a lot of stuff I'd done in grad school, stuff I'd done with the FBI, dispatch. It was just everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, for me, I have to handwrite things over and over and over to commit them to memory. So I typed summaries of each chapter, and then I just kind of reviewed that. And I, I like to go through and say, if I were going to write a test question, what would it be? And I overanalyzed it to the point of being a little bit extreme, probably. Sure. Uh, the test is hard. Don't get me wrong. It's it's absolutely challenging. I almost ran out of time uh, because I was trying to check my answers too much. And towards the end, I was trying to do the math. Like I got this many chapters and this much time. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the biggest thing I would tell people is don't psych yourself out. Like you can do this. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And you can do hard things. So, I mean, we do it all day in our careers. We We see terrible things. We deal with crazy people. This is just another, another thing you can check off. It's absolutely worth the time and investment. But for me, it was, I have a three-year-old and I work full-time and I managed to, to do it. You know, I was sleep deprived, but if I can do it, anybody can do it. So I I would encourage everybody to kind of give it a try. They offer some classes. I know Aika has like two 12-week courses you can take I, I wanted, I was a little impatient. I didn't want to wait that long to get it done. And I also felt extra pressure because my agency paid for me to take the test. So I was like, well, I don't want to screw that up (laughs) and I don't want to have to pay for it again myself. So a little extra motivation for me there, but I just read the books and I'm kind of fortunate in that like all the different aspects of my career kind of covered almost every bit of it. So a lot of it was review, a lot of it. It is good. It is nerve wracking. I I took it at the IACA conference in Dallas. Oh my God, I would die. And I didn't tell anybody beforehand. Right. Because I was like, hey, if I failed, I don't want nobody knows. coming up. Yeah. I didn't want people coming up to me <laughs> like, how'd the test go? And I got to tell them over all the rest of the week that I failed. Right? right. So I didn't tell anybody. And I can't remember. It was a paper test oh, wow. that, I, that I took. I want to say, because I think, yeah, because now I'm remembered. Oh, I'm old. I can't remember a lot of details. Because <laughs> Sam Gwynn came up to me that afternoon. 
and said, hey, <laughs> we, we graded your test already and, wow. and you passed. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shoot. So I treated myself <laughs> to a steak dinner at a steakhouse next door there. Glad, you know, I was obviously relieved because four questions in that one section, if there's one section that you're not comfortable with right. and easily get tripped up there and certainly do that. I mean, I think that's one of the things that they were reviewing to say, okay, we only have a hundred people certified is our process too hard is what's going on ilea has over 600 what is the ica doing something that they should be changing but sometimes you know it come down to you got to be able to pass the test well and and i think too that it's it's got a reputation for being difficult. And I think that that serves as a deterrent for a lot of people. And that's why I kind of want to like remove the stigma, like it's difficult, but not impossible. So I think I I know people personally, they're just kind of like, oh my gosh, if I don't pass, I'm going to be so upset. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, like nobody wants to fail, but you know, failure is kind of critical to success. So don't be afraid of failing. Don't be afraid to take it. It's definitely not impossible. So I got you. Well, very good. Let's talk about some advice that you might have for the audience. And you've given little nuggets here and there, so you might have covered (laughs) them all. But is there any advice that you would give either to a brand new analyst or maybe even a seasoned analyst? Probably for me, like, remember why you started. Remember why you're passionate about your job. What do you love about it? You know, I think we all have a reason here, there, somewhere about why we got into this, because even if it's just because you think it's cool, there can be times when this job takes over your life and definitely bleeds over into your home life. So remember why you started and and what what makes you passionate about it. And I would also recommend like stay out of politics as much as you can. (laughs) (laughs) And I will add, Jessica is a great example of someone that has benefited from hustling and <laughs> the amount of work and effort and just finding a way to succeed in many aspects of her career. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's an, uh, last my last little nugget. And this is just like, stay humble. You never <laughs> want to be seen as a know-it-all. That's, I think I've, I've been in meetings with other places where there's an analyst that it's almost like that just can't stop talking. <laughs> uh, and it's, gosh, I, I can think of two off the top of my head at two different places where after we left, people are like, Oh my God, I'll never listen to anything they say. So, <laughs> and I'm like, man, that sucks. Cause they're probably a great analyst. They just, sometimes people get nervous and talk and I think our pride kind of gets in the way. So stay humble and, and always try to be learning because personality conflicts will get you in trouble real quick. Yes. So. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to personal interest then. And I'm excited about this because your <laughs> personal interest is roller derby. Yes. And I am familiar with roller derby. My time in Cincinnati, we have several friends that were either in roller derby themselves or scorekeepers or referees. So how did you get involved in roller derby? So when I had, I was, I grew up skating. Like I was kind of a little rink rat as a child. I would go on Fridays and Saturdays and hold hands with like gross boys and skate and stuff. So it was, (laughs) (laughs) that was always a a thing I was interested in. I've always been into sports and stuff. So we moved to Chattanooga and they have like a whole real derby team, Chattanooga roller derby. At the time we were Chattanooga roller girls, but we've expanded to, to be more inclusive, which I think is great. I was like, oh man. They are the coolest people on the planet. I've got to be a part of that. So I got really into derby. I kind of started off being a NSO, which is a non-skating official. And uh, they started a boot camp for <laughs> for new skaters. And at the time, the skates, like my derby skates were like in route. So uh, I'm at practice and I was trying to do a T-stop in these like 1980s leather lace-ups. And the truck that holds the wheels in the front was kind of loose. So when I put my foot down to do the T-stop, it just kind of like 360'd my leg. So a real unfortunate way to break my leg and dislocate my ankle. And that was not real fun. And so I had some crazy emergency surgery 
and they put a bunch of metal in. Subsequently, about eight months later, I broke the metal screw in between my bones and had to have another surgery to get that taken out. So that's kind of, um, <laughs> I have not really skated since then, but I'm still involved as a non-skating official. I typically run the scoreboard, which is so much fun. It's mm-hmm. honestly, derby people are also lovers of chaos so <laughs> it's a it's such a great physical outlet i look forward to the day when i feel like i can skate again i gotta get new skates because after i had my daughter i went up a whole shoe size so what a ripoff but uh yeah. when i get some new skates and get over like the mental like ptsd seeing my foot not attached to my body anymore <laughs> i definitely want to try and get back into that maybe even as a ref but that's a i love derby the people are so open and welcoming and I think we all need like a physical outlet, especially in this line of work. I find that I'm most centered when I've got some kind of balance. Like I did kickboxing for a while. Uh, I wanted to get into like MMA fighting and my husband's like, please, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm already hard enough to live with. So (laughs) You just said, hey, would you rather me do that or yell at you about the hand house? Which Right, exactly. Pick your poison, babe. No, but uh, derby is great. When someone says they don't know anything about roller derby, how do you explain it to people? Okay, so think about if like hockey, rugby, and football had a baby, but and then put it on wheels. That's kind of like how I break down the rules because like we have a penalty box like hockey, and the scoring is kind of unique. I don't. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but you have like two two people who can score they're called the jammers and then the rest of the people on the court you have a pivot and then everybody else is like a blocker so when the whistle starts your two jammers are in the back and you've got the pack is what they call the cluster of other people Mm -hmm. so you have to make an initial pass through the pack and once you do that you can begin scoring so it's so difficult people don't understand how how intense derby is because one skating is hard all right For those of us that are now old and fat and busted, like just skating by itself is difficult. You get out of breath and then you've got to like actually fight people to get through and score points. And sometimes, you know, they make two and three passes through the pack and that's, it's hard work. And in the same sense of like all the other sports I mentioned, we have penalties. Like you can't, it's not like the, the old school bank track roller derby where it was more like WWE style wrestling, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like you're not allowed to throw elbows and pull hair and like drop somebody from the rafters anymore. It's, It's a lot more controlled. So it's a tough sport kudos to all of the roller derby people out there because you're my hero like still i'm gonna get there one day interesting stuff it is a very family-friendly environment too it it is fun to watch and as i mentioned we have friends that were in it and there are a strong nucleus of people that are on the team and 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 whatnot so they are very much a family and and i have to say too there are so few contact sports for women out there which i just think is absolute garbage like i also want to hit people um (laughs) Like, it's not just for football players. Like, let me smack somebody that I adore. You know, Um, it's healthy competition. I I just think that it's great that Derby and now, I mean, women's rugby is kind of new for me, but, you know, that's more popular now. Like, I think that's great because we need contact sports, too. So anyway, that's my little spiel about that. (laughs) Oh, very good. All right. Last section of the show is words to the world. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Jessica, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? I will steal advice I got from my grandfather, and it's just applicable to general life. It takes all types to make up the world. So I just think that that's really important. You never know what someone's been through, what they're going through, what their experiences are. And I think it's important to realize that everyone has a place in the world and everyone matters and you matter and that we should try to love and take care of each other as best we can. And I just think that's important. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. (laughs) Love it. But I do appreciate you being on the show, Jessica. Thank you so much. And you be safe. Thank you.
Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.